I'm here with Gordon and Nancy Hunt with New Tribes Ministries or New Tribes Missions. And where do you guys currently serve on the mission field? We serve in Paraguay, in a, among a group of people called the Monhui. And for those of us who were public schooled, where is Paraguay on the map? Paraguay is in South America. It's between Bolivia, Argentina, and Brazil, right in the middle. It's a landlocked country and small country, smaller than any of the other three that are around it. And what, what do you guys do on the mission field? I'm right now the translator. I translate the, the Bible from uh, in, into the Manhui language. Actually, it's the, the New Testament, what we're translating, into the Manhui language so the people can read it for, their, for themselves. And how long have you guys been serving there? Um, 37 years. I guess you'd say we started in 1975. It's 37 years. First went to the field in 75, and we actually moved July out to 10th. the moved out to the Maui wow. about a year and a half after that. All right, so we're going to talk in a future interview. I want to talk about you guys actually landing there and what that was like and your arrival there. So now that we have some idea of where you're at and what you're doing, let's back up a little bit. Okay. Where did you guys meet, mm-hmm. get married, and were you raised in a Christian home? Okay, I was raised in a Christian home in Indiana, but we moved out to Idaho when I was about 16. And we actually met in Canada at Prairie Bible Institute. And what were your other questions? So you're Prairie grads. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you were raised, were your parents missionaries on the field? No. Pastor? My my father died when I was six, and he was not saved. Okay. But your mom was. Mm -hmm. So she raised you in a Christian home under godly influence. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you grew up where and when? A lot of the same background. My mom raised us, five five boys in Southern California. Five older boys, younger boys, where are you at? I was the second, and they were all younger than me, and raised us all as believers. And the pastor of the church that uh, we began attending when I was in high school suggested that we go to Bible school after graduation, and I thought it was a good idea. And so and his one of his schools he'd been to was Prairie, Prairie Bible Institute. And he said it's a good Bible school, and he suggested, recommended, and and all did all the help he could to get me going there. Was so back in the 1960s? Yeah, it was it was 68, 69, and uh, so that's where I ended up. And that's where you guys met. We met uh, in our sophomore between our sophomore and junior years, and uh, fell in love. And and how soon <laughs> how soon after Bible college did you marry? Did we you graduated in April. Yeah. No, we both went. Through, we, graduated we graduated in together. April. It was a four year program. And we were married in July. Yeah, we got married pretty quick right after we got out. Graduated in April, married in July. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but summer. we knew each other like what two and a half years. Yeah, we'd known each other for two and a half years. We actually were engaged in our between our junior and senior years. Oh, okay. So unofficially, unofficial. <laughs> you knew that's where you were headed. We knew yeah, we were we headed. We couldn't there. legally yeah. be engaged. And we, were both... we would have had to drop out and come back, and we didn't want to do that. No, so we just just uh, which was fine. We did what as the, long was as recommended. It's not public, you know. You know, you couldn't legally be engaged as we far as the Canadian government was concerned. No, no, as far just, as just, just a school. Just, just a school. school. It was just school. If we are officially going to be engaged, then then yeah. we had to drop out for a semester. This is off the record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, they didn't care. They no. knew there were couples and stuff. There, there's yeah. a lot of couples just like it's that. It's changed yeah. a lot since then. But, but we, we officially were engaged the day we left the Bible school, mm-hmm. gave our rings to each other, or gave her the ring, and, and planned our wedding right after that. Then got married a couple months later. Married, no, we got married. Well, it was yeah, May, June, July. Yeah, three months later. Three months later. But um, we were already uh, communicating with New Tribes Mission before we actually graduated. 
And so you knew you were going to mission field yeah. Oh, yeah. before you even got done with Bible college. Yeah. Knew we, where you were headed. We were, I was interested actually in gospel recordings or some other mission in Latin America anyway. And when new tribes, when we started to get information about new tribes, I realized that that was really where God would want me because it was more, it was a, the first time I'd ever realized that there was actually missions working in, in tribal people in, they, they, we call it pioneer missionary work where they, nobody had been there before. And they, they actually contacted the people, began to work. And that really sparked my interest. And that's what I wanted to do. And I knew, you know, that's what the Lord I know was leading us. Yeah, I just laid that on your heart. Yep, exactly. And we didn't know what country, but we knew that that's what we wanted to do. Both of us did. Now, did you know that you were going to go into a South American type country, or did you? I mean, were you open to? I was open to, Africa, to anywhere, China, but, anywhere but else. South America seemed like more where God was even already laying on our hearts. Even then, I mean, it really wouldn't have made any difference to me. Probably, you were willing to go anywhere. Yeah, and that was what what I was telling the Lord, and uh, obviously He was leading us that way. And when we got married, we went from being married. How many mar- months were we married when we, before we went we into married training? married in July and we went into the training in February, January. January. So we were only married six months. And then we were already headed uh, to, to the training program in Canada, back to Canada again. Like we, we were in Ontario. We, we got married in Idaho. And be, uh, possibly because when we applied, we applied from Canada they sent us to the training center in Canada. They had like five training centers, four in the States and one in Canada. So we headed back to Canada again. So we went to Ontario. Drove all the way across wow. the States. Wow. And uh, had no clue what we were getting into because we didn't have any money. We were like ch- poor as church mice when we drove over there. Ran out of money getting over there even. Drove in and pulled in and there we were. And, <laughs> and uh, there was about seven or eight other young couples just like us that had arrived that same time. So we were like the uh, newlyweds uh, class there in the Mission Training Center there in Ontario. Actually, a lot of them are because they come straight from Bible school. They came straight from Bible school. So had you been raising money or funds or anything like that before the training? The only thing we had was the church that that, uh, we got married in and the church that was my home church that said they'd help us a a little bit when they could. So that's what we had for promise support. We actually went to a field with $60 promise support. In fact, I thought, in the back of my mind, I thought that, that when we got there, we would get a job and pay our way through the, the training, pay our way through school, just like a college. And we were surprised. I was a little surprised to find out that that wasn't the way it worked. We were supposed to be already trusting the Lord, you know, to. You're supposed to already have your support. Some, some, some support, not a whole lot, but some anyway, when we got there. So it was a little bit of a surprise. And, but you know what? Always had enough food. We never so then, starved. Then January you were in training. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the following July you went to the mission. No, we actually no. went a whole year and a half in that training. Up we there had in that Canada. training we and then we went into the language training, which was a year and a half. Another year. And now a half. new tribes has changed since yeah. then. They they actually make you have a certain amount of support before you go on. Before right? you go on and stuff. And their this was their training back. centers have been styled down a little bit, so it's a little less time. And most of it's all done in one place now, yeah. other than the Bible school. They they have their own Bible school. We just skipped that because we had gone to Perth. Yeah, see, the New Tribes has two Bible schools that train, and they, they were set up mostly to train MKs that come back from the fields. But, of course, we didn't go to their Bible school. We didn't even know there was a Bible school at that time. We had just heard about New Tribes from my home church and yeah. then from up at Perry. Oh, and, and you've been with New Tribes for 37 years. Mm-hmm. We have never switched. Yet. No. Missions organization. No. We started with them. Started with them. With them. We've been ever since. 
But when we first got to the training center, we started to realize that all these other students had come from the New Tribes Bible School. And so they were, they all knew each other, kind of. Oh, I see. A lot of them, not every, not all of them, but a lot of them did. But that's what, that's where we started. And then we spent the first, that year and a half there in training. And what it was, the training that we had there was like, a lot of it was, it had nothing to do with missions. It was basically to, with, uh, dealing with, uh, issues, married couples, things that we need to know as young people, how to study the word of God a little bit more, how to, to, uh, just basically walk with the Lord. We actually learned how to walk with the Lord, how to, how to, we, it, it pulled us out of legalism into genuine, uh, walking with the Lord, basically. And you had, you had been, you had sort of a legalistic bent because of. We did. Because of my own home background. Your own home background, your yeah. home church background? Yes. And prairie and in somewhat, those days probably didn't. Same didn't, thing. Yeah, same thing. Didn't really push you out of it. No. And, uh, for her coming out of a Baptist, it was probably less than myself coming out of a, a, a Plymouth Brethren background. So when you left Prairie, went to New Tribes, did it seem, did that seem, was that culture shock to you? It was, was a little bit because the, the mission, uh, fellowship and all was a whole lot freer than, than what I had ever lived in as far as Christians were concerned. And the, the even the music, some of the music and, and the things that they, they, they talked about were not what, I would have expected from a, a mission organization, but it's just because they were people who were freer in, the, yeah. in their idea, understanding of grace than I was. That seemed like basically. a bunch of liberals to you, probably. In a sense, yeah. I didn't put a label on it like yeah. that, but yeah, kind of like that. And as I as we begin to and we began to grow spiritually, begin to realize that it wasn't about how you performed anymore. Yeah. And see, that was all performance before. Right. Even going through Bible school was performance. It was how to how to do well, and to see people would see you as a spiritual person. Because of the things you did, that was how I how I grew up. And 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 Prairie, I'm sure they taught grace, I, and I know they did. But in my background was already built in that built in performance. That's that's where we were even in, in that. And, but as you begin to realize, and we had struggles as a young couple, and we were newly married. Yeah. And the leadership in the in the uh, we called it a boot camp back then. Now they just call it missions training. But back then, uh, they they saw those problems that we were having. And immediately they were on them and they were on us to help us. We had counseling. It was right there. They'd pull us in, sit us down and say, look, this is, you know, you're having a struggle here. We see this, you know, let's get your act together. And, and so they were helping us constantly. And uh, it was the best thing in our lives. Just applying really the gospel to your marriage. Applying it to our marriage. Walk. Yeah, they did yeah. it. By, they, like he says, pulling us in. They'd have us over for a meal, sit down yeah. and be friends with us, talk but with they, us. But they'd spot things, you know, and, you know, put a finger on it and say, you know, look, you're, you need to learn here. It was, a, it was very, very, very good for us. It, it, it actually... We were kids, and they, yeah. it, we began to mature in that environment. That was a year and a half. And, and actually, we actually, one time one of the, the leadership said, you know what? If you guys don't begin to deal with some of these things in your life, you're out of here. This is the end of it. And we were, you know, we was that close because we were we were struggling. We, you know, yeah. we we'd never learned these things before, never heard these things. All of a sudden, it was no longer performance. It was, you know, what your heart yeah. was like. You know, it just, I mean, I, I knew it. But it wasn't in there. It right. was up in the head, you know. Right. Well, it's our natural tendency our natural to tendency. perform. Right. Because even starting a Monhui church, their natural tendency is to do to what perform. you want. Yeah. Right. And so we see that even with the Monhui people today, some of them. And, but we've been there, you know, so we know where, you know, how to advise and help and teach now. So if we had gone, it's, it's interesting too, because a lot of people come out of 
Prairie Bible Institute, you know, any other place in our age, they went right to the straight to the mission fields. They were ready to go. But obviously, Lord, we weren't ready to go. <laughs> yeah, put you in some place where you could grow out of that. Uh, we needed that growth. And and then, so we spent that year and a half there. And uh, then we went from that point, uh, we did a little bit of traveling and got back to our home churches, some of our family. And, and there were people, that, a couple people that said they'd take us on more than that. I don't remember if they ever did or not, but we had more prayer support then when we went, then we went from there into Missouri where they had the language training center, still there today, uh, the uh, New Tries training center. And we spent another year and a half there. And that was the more technical part of it then. The first part was basically learn how to walk with the Lord. The second part of the training was linguistics. Uh, you learn Spanish or whatever. Trade language. Trade language of the country uh, you're going to. If, if, oh, yeah. if you Just have a, a tendency bit. towards linguistics, then they train you in linguistics. Or, uh, but basically, the biggest part of the program was just learning how to acquire a foreign language on your own without, without lessons. You make your own lessons is basically what it was. Learn phonetics. Learn it by being immersed in it. Right. And teach, teach yourself the language. And when you were at Prairie, knowing that you were going to go into the mission field, did you, were you taking any courses of study that would was geared toward equipping you for that, no, or was it just kind of general basic well, Bible education? No, we actually I switched my there was there was uh, different courses you could take in missions, but it was more like uh, there was one that was on missions uh, acquisition, like uh, cultural acquisition, but it really didn't it didn't go the way we uh, we would have yeah. it didn't help any really. It just mostly was information. It didn't hinder me. But, but but I did change from a music major. If we'd call that today, it was a major to a missions major about halfway through Bible school. And that's when I took more missions classes. But there was no, there was no cultural uh, acquisition courses or language courses offered at that time. There may be now, but there weren't back then. Did you study Greek and Hebrew? No. At, at Prairie? No. I wish I had. Yeah. I really do, because they did, they did offer it. Now, if I, as I look back at it, it would have been, it would have helped some. And, but, but the, the training we got in the new tribes training, no. Uh, far better prepared us for anything as far as, because we learned how to, how to, uh, we learned, lingu- I took linguistics and I took the, uh, the phonetics courses. We both did. And, uh, what else was there? Oh, and the cultural, uh, they call it, they would call it cultural anthropology today. It was basically how to understand and file cultural information so you could understand what their uh, worldview was. Yeah. And that's that. Actually, those courses have improved tremendously now since we went through. Especially since they have computers. And with computerization oh, yeah. now, they've they've got programs that help in that now. But uh, we, by back then when we were doing it, it was all using punch cards and and writing all your stuff down on three by five cards. And we learned how to do it, and that's how we actually did it when we got to the field. The same way we came from out of that training, we went six more months. I worked at a job, made enough money to buy a ticket to to South America with her and our baby we had then, and we took off and got to the field. In July, and you arrived at the mission field with one job. Yeah, and uh-huh. we had, we had no, a month and a half we had later, no support. We'll be at Jeff. We had no support behind us, other than these two churches. <laughs> two, only two churches supporting. Yes. We were, we it were, wasn't very smart. We were, yeah, we were not. We were pretty ignorant when it came to raising support. You have how many children? We have five. Five children. Yeah. And who are they? What are they doing? And where are they at now? Okay. Start start with tax deduction number one. Number That's one. Jamie. He was Jamie. born when we were in the language school. We went to the field, and a month and a half later, the second one was born. That's Jeff. 
Now those two guys are now on the field with us. Jamie working, and Jeff Jamie on the field. Jamie and Jeff on the field. With their wives and families. They started out working with us. Now Jamie is starting to work with another tribe, and Jeff's still with us with the Monahoy. Yeah. Then we had Jeremy, who is living in Post Falls. We had him 15 months after the other one was born. <laughs> then, and that's, when we had Jeremy, it was we were still in language study yeah. on the field. And two months after he was born, then we, we went to the moved Monhui. out to the Monhui tribe. So we had a newborn baby basically out in we the tribe. We had three with children under three, and we moved into a tribal. Mm-hmm. So then, okay, so that's three, three boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have two girls. Two and girls. And they were born four and a half years. Let's see. After the boys, Kyla was born, and then Kendra was born two and a half years later. Yeah. And where are they at? Kyla's in Delaware, Delaware and Kendra's right now in Florida. Florida, but she's moving up to North. North Carolina. Carolina. All your children married? Kendra is not married. Our youngest. Kendra, your youngest. And how old is she? 28. 28. 28. Okay. 28, 26. Out of your five children, two of them are back on the field with you. Mm -hmm. One serving with you, one serving near you. Any plans for any of the others to head to the mission field? The other, the daughters have any? Not at this time. Geared up. Kyla is, if any of them, Kyla is more interested in missions, but I don't know that she's. Well, they're all interested. They're all interested. In fact, they're all supporting missionaries, supporting right. somewhere. But as far as going, whether or not they're serving, a different yeah. issue. Yeah. yeah, they're heading out. Yeah, none of them are. Okay, and grandchildren? Only thirteen. Thirteen grandchildren. <laughs> How many of them on the mission field? Uh, six. Six of them are on the yeah. mission field, and seven of them are seven back are here. We don't have anything to complain about. <laughs> no, not really. And your, and your oldest grandchild is 16. 16. So it's a couple of years from you having a great-grandchild, great perhaps, yeah. on the mission field. Possibly so. You could have a great-grandchild on the mission field serving with you or near you. Yeah. yeah. I always think it's interesting because our daughter-in-law, Jamie's wife, Shar, she is a third-generation MK on both sides. Wow. Yeah. So it's... it's Her grandparents... On her mother's side, were in Japan with New Tribes Mission. Her grandparents on her father's side were in New Tribes Mission in Colombia. They're both retired, yeah. but now their her, parents, her parents are still are missionaries still in mission. Colombia, and they're translators as well, Bible translators, doing the same work we are. And so she's doing this similar work. Yeah. And Jamie's doing work translation. It's, it's, yeah, Jamie will be the one, but she's going to be right there beside him helping. Right. It's actually her dad that's a translator, and Jamie's a translator. Wow. And then Jeff and Stacy are in the tribe with us still, with the Monhui people. And Stacy's mother is also a Bible translator. And we went through the training. And we went through her. the training with them. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, yeah wow. it was interesting. Before we had any idea, of course, if you'd known the future, it would be fun. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know. We were in the training with, with her folks. Yep. So, and not only that, her uncle was one of our coworkers on the field. The Humphreys, wow. years ago, we worked together in the Monhui tribe with her uncle and aunt. And now, his son is now working with Jamie with this very Indian tribe down yeah. there. So you've had all five of your kids have been raised on the mission field. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they and were all homeschooled. All of them homeschooled yeah. while you were serving. With them in the Monhui tribe, yeah. They all, in fact, they would be in their studies studying with the Indians looking in the windows watching <laughs> them the whole time. Because right. the Indians thought this idea of school was something They had new. no idea what it was no idea. at that time when they were doing school. We hadn't started an Indian school yet, so they were just watching them. They didn't have a clue what they were doing. How did you get connected? This was back to Prairie, I think. Mm-hmm. How did you get connected with Kootenai Community Church? Not until we were on the field. It was already, yeah, we'd already been on the field probably four years, five years. Now, your home sending church is how far away from here? It's in Court Lane. In Court Lane. So 45 minutes away. Right. right. But because but of our friends... 
Pastor Dave. Dave and what's then, his yeah. wife's name? Dave and Betty. Dave Betty. and Betty. Yeah. They wrote us they wrote and, and said, asked us if and we speak would. At the church? And yeah. they, they wanted to start the church to start supporting. In around 86 You're when right. he, he had been came. in the mission field almost 10 years before yeah. he started supporting yeah. it. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay, and they knew you, Dave and Betty Kenny, who pastored the church when Kootenai started because, in the 1970s. Yeah. They knew you through what connection? Through their through, son Dave, I believe. Because no. see, Dave, Dave and I... In Bible school, well, Bible school. Dave Kenny, he married my best friend. Yeah, we're, we're all good friends, and that was his... That was her best friend's. We got married two weeks apart, husband. and we were in yeah. each other's. Wedding. We were in each other's wedding, yeah. Oh, okay. That's and how we knew Dave was mm-hmm. from from that okay. connection. And you also know one of our other missionaries, Dave and Lois Belch. Right, and he went to Bible school also with this as well. At Prairie. At Prairie, yeah. Yeah, because Dave Dave graduated with us, and he was in the three year program, and I'm not sure, but I think. I think you did. Dave Belch was too. Yeah, I think they were both in the three year. While we were in the four year, they kind of caught up to us and graduated with us. Okay, so seven years of Bible college before you go to the mission field, and then you arrive at the mission field with the Monhui. How did you tell me how it is that you felt called? And I use that term loosely to the mission field. Did you hear a still small voice? You writing in the sky? Read the tea leaves? How did you? How did God plant providentially your feet among the Monhui? That's a good question. <laughs> like how, I mean, for me, when I was growing up, I got very interested in missions. I have no idea why or anything. I just know that as I heard about missions in my church, they had quite a bit to do with missions. I was very interested in missions. And then when I was in high school, I got real, got real interested in the native Indians of the U.S. and just studied a lot on them but when I went to Bible school actually no I take that back when we moved out to Idaho um, a missionary came because he knew our pastor and when I got out there he came and he was with New Tribes Mission so I heard about New Tribes Mission then I went to Prairie you knew about it before Bible school then I I went to Prairie and and they started um, coming to Prairie at our missions conferences and stuff then I heard about so where'd your call come from Called to be a missionary? I have no idea. I guess I just always kind of sort of wanted to be, but I don't think I had the first foggiest idea. If you didn't hear a still small voice or read the tea leaves, how do you know you're called? I mean, I, well, I'm basically, with you. I know you are. <laughs> I have no doubt about that. You know what? This is just an interesting story. When we went through, like we went through four years of Bible school, the rest of the three years, we don't really call Bible school. It was like our mission training. We had a little bit of jungle camp training, how to live without stuff, plus how to walk with the Lord. Then we went into the language school training, and we started learning about language and how to acquire a language, how to learn language. Plus, we learned the the um, the language of whatever country we felt like we might be called Studied to. a little bit, yeah. And we were sort of toying with either Bolivia or Paraguay. Well, I remember being in our first training when we were just actually out of Bible school, going into that training, thinking, I remember thinking, I'd always sort of wanted to be a missionary and all that. I was really going to be a nurse, but I got married instead. But um, I I remember thinking, what? when am I going to feel this ooey-gooey, wonderful feeling of love towards the Indians? Because I didn't really feel anything. I had no great love for the unsaved. Then I went into the what we call our language um, training, and I still didn't feel it. 
it was just going to come. And I just figured, you know, when the Lord wanted me to have it, I would have it. Then we went down to the mission field and studied Spanish and went out to the Monhui Indians. And I still wondered what I was going to get this ooey-gooey feeling because they weren't very lovable. Yeah. They weren't a bit lovable. They were, in fact, a little bit on the annoying side, you know. They blew their nose in their hand and wiped it on the nearest post or side of our house or on the ground. or It was not a pleasant thing. And it finally dawned on me that I didn't have a love for the Monhui people. So what do you do about it? Well, I told the Lord, I don't have a love. And when, once I began to realize that I needed the Lord to love those people, I began to love those people. It took a while, but it was no different than when we were coming to the field and I realized we were traveling around visiting people. And I remember a pastor pointing to us and saying, look at those missionaries who are trusting the Lord so much. And I remember just <laughs> that night before crying and telling Gordy, how on earth are we going to go to the mission field? We have no money for a, it was only $900 at that time, a ticket to go to Paraguay. It was scared the liver out of me. And I remember him telling me that, you know, when the Lord, you know, when we don't have it right now, but he will give it to us when we need. And we just have to tell the Lord, I don't think you're going to get me to the mission field. So I told him that. I don't think you're going to get me to the mission field. How can you? I know nobody rich. Our churches aren't rich. How are we going to get to the field? I don't know. But I remember just saying, okay, Lord, I don't. And it's no different. But he, he got us there. And it's the same way with the idea of loving the Indians. Yeah. And I, and still, once I even got used to the Indians and began to realize they all had their personalities, you get to know them and you love them, there were still some of them that weren't very lovable. Just like my next door neighbor might not be very right. lovable, or somebody in my church, or somebody in my Sunday school right. might not be very lovable. So I asked the Lord to teach my heart to love that person. And that's just... Yeah, I asked the, I asked the question because I find that <clears throat> as I'm talking with our missionaries, uh, they don't, you know, none of, none of you can relate a Macedonian call type vision no. or a Damascus road type experience or a dream or writing in the sky or seeing the face of a Manhui on a piece of toast or whatever it might be, some sign. And a lot of people, Christians, your, your rank and file believers out there who listen to this recording think that they're if, looking for it or yeah, yeah, I'll go happen, to the mission field when, when I, I've, when I absolutely know yeah. because the signs and the writing and the the tea leaves all line up, and I know that I'm supposed to be called to do X, Y, and Z at this location, yeah. and yet... And obviously, they're not going to go until they get that. No, they won't, yeah. because they're waiting for that. Yeah. And and some people, I'm sure, use that as justification that Possibly so. I'm not called to the mission field, and yeah. other people are, are honestly believing that they will do something when God does something so unmistakable to direct their steps. The, the thing is, the call was, is already there because when you read it's the scriptures, the when Jesus said, uh, look at the fields, they're white unto harvest, you know, and, and, and he said, you need to go, you know, he was telling the disciples that. Well, obviously that was speaking to all of us. Yeah, now you're getting back to the sufficiency of scripture thing again. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's enough. It is. Because it is. It, that's all you need. But yeah, the thing absolutely. is, is that sometimes we get an idea of missions too yeah. in our mind. But the thing is, we're called wherever we are, whatever we are doing, whether we are, whether we are a pastor or a missionary or a, a teacher at school or a nurse or a mechanic. Yeah, yeah. We are called to present Christ. 
or to live in for sure. And, yeah. and living, you yeah. know. Yeah. Just some, people, Lord. some people think the call is that specific Macedonian vision. And, and it's it's because of improper teaching or lack of teaching or whatever, something they heard, you know, who knows. But yeah. I do remember, and I think God in his, in his uh, wisdom knows what we need because I can remember throughout my childhood being exposed to missions over and over and over again. Uh, my mom, for instance, uh, when we went, began to attend this church that I grew up in, she always had missionaries stay in her house with us. And so firsthand, all of us boys got a firsthand experience getting to know a missionary and to, to hear the stories, to realize that that person was just like us. Yeah. They weren't any different. So it, it built in things. Oh, yeah, I can be a missionary. If they can be, I can be. Yeah. So all along, I was exposed to that from my mom. And then in our church, uh, one of the elders was responsible for gospel recordings, building those little wooden, uh, f- they call them phonettes back in those days, where they'd put a record on it and they'd, they'd by hand turn it. But it was just the box, just the wooden box that he built those things. And uh, he always had all the, the, the young people come in on Saturdays and we'd all work with him and build these boxes. And at the same time we were working with these, he was telling us where these things were going to go, out to some mission field. He was basically putting us as a hands-on experience with missions right then. And then we, in that church, too, we had missionaries come and visit us and speak. So we were getting that exposure and finding out that missions was nothing more than just doing what God wanted you to do. And that's Where, kind wherever of you want wherever to you are. And that's basically what where it started, I think, in my life. That was, if you want to call a call, there's a call right there. Yeah. You know, and but, so what you what you ended up doing was feeling, uh, and I hate to even use the term feeling, but definitely your heart was inclined in that direction. Already, you wanted yeah. to serve God yeah. wherever he might That's right. place you. Exactly. And at the very beginning, even as a young kid. Now, I didn't know where it was going to be or what I was going to do. In fact, I signed up for, or I started to head towards being an electronics engineer. I loved gadgets, loved uh, electronics. Loved, still do. Still do it to this day. <laughs> and, and I think God used that drive because... I could fix just about anything as a kid, and I see as I look back on that, the training in linguistics fit right into that, figuring out how to the language. I just applied the same thing into that. And so he was using in my young life back then my desires, and he applied it later on in life. And, and, he was, and I think that's how God works in our lives. He just, he just takes us what, he, what we're already inclined to do, and he applies it as long as we're open and honest and, and Listening to his to the, yeah. the Holy Spirit, I think he just keeps us moving right along. So, so much for a call. <laughs> so, was there a, was there a struggle with obedience to go? I mean, it, it was huge uncertainty of two supporting churches, a newborn yeah. child. You're pregnant with another one. It's June, the end of June, July. You're getting ready to get on the airplane because God's provided the nine hundred dollar ticket. Are you which which I work to pay for. <laughs> so you provided through your job. Most of that, yeah. So did yeah. did you struggle with the issue of obedience? Is this the right thing? Do we go ahead and go through with this, or or do you just did you just dive right in without even thinking? About I think it? we pretty well dived in without thinking about it. I it's think when we, I thought of yeah, the finances. You did. Oh yeah, it was you a did. Little scary, did. but yeah, it was more. I think it hit me more when we got to the field. Once we stepped off the plane in this foreign country that you couldn't speak a hardly a word of the language. And there was stuff coming at you faster than you could understand it. I thought to myself, we didn't buy a one-way ticket. I mean, a two-way, we didn't buy a round-trip ticket. What have I got myself into? Well, yeah, what That's are we going to do now? Thought. We couldn't go back. 
And, you know, it was starting to get rough down there. <laughs> so how did you pick Paraguay? Of all the countries, of all the continents, and then, and what was the name of the city that you're closest to in Paraguay? Yeah. Um, the, well, the capital city now is, is Asuncion, but, but we were in, we were closer to Philadelphia. Philadelphia, Paraguay. That's where, um, where the, that was the our, are. But no, when we first got there, we, we went, went to, to the, the capital Sancion, city. The capital. Yeah. Okay. That's where we studied yeah. Spanish. And, and really studied Spanish there. But you throw a dart at a map and you land in Paraguay? How did you, no, how did you pick that? Well, we were thinking during of the, South during America. The, during the, we were already thinking of South America. Both of us had Bolivia that. Bolivia or Paraguay, I think. Had that already when we were in the beginning, the training after Bible school. South America kind of was, you know, we just, you know, where are you interested? Oh, I'm interested in South America. Well, I am too. That Some Latin kinda, American, yeah. Spanish type of. Right. But then when we were in the training, uh, there were, uh, there was more exposure to the different countries just in the in the in the uh, the studies, but there also was a family that came back from Paraguay, had just been on uh, one of the staff on, in the missions training, and they had all these pictures of the Manhui, and they they actually showed their slides and started talking about this one tribe that really had absolutely no uh, nobody there yet to to hardly help in the in the training, and we both thought, man, let's go there. And there was the need for work. There was the need, and that's where the Lord, I think the Lord used that to, to work on our hearts to cause us to want to go to Paraguay. And so from that point on, we we knew we were headed for Paraguay. And down and in Paraguay. And moment. down in Paraguay is where you learned a little bit more of the train language. Right. Yeah. And started, move, started, did you know of the Monhui at that oh, time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because they were already, when we arrived in Paraguay, they are, before we got there, they even wrote and said, this is a need, this particular tribe. Would you consider this? It's not that we will place you there, but would you consider working with the Manhui people? You've had linguistics. They need a linguistics, a person there to, to break down the language and to help in that. And, and, and from there on, that was what we were headed. In new tribes, the, the, the mission field, um, the missionaries will stop at the language school and challenge students and to come that. to oh, the different way. And that's so what we, we were, were, we were challenged basically. We were quite aware of. You know, already aware of the needs then. We of the there. needs and stuff, and so, so now there was somebody already at the tribe. There were when we got there. Yeah, they had had. Oh, in fact, an, an we initial met, contact already. Yeah. Right, and then we met with one of the couples yeah. that were there at his parents' house. Before we they went were to the on field, the mission yeah. field, and so we had met with them. So we knew we knew one of the missionaries that was already working with the Manhui, and they actually challenged, further challenged us. Because they said we really need somebody that's that's had good good uh, training in uh, linguistics to help finish up the linguistics to get us into the literacy and to move us on so we can be in teaching the people. So they were they'd been there from two years before we actually even hit the uh, hit the field. Already doing work Already among doing, the Manhui people. The right. Manhui were contacted in seventy one. No, seventy three. Se- contacted. Yeah, seventy three. Oh, in seventy three, and we yeah. got down there in seventy six. Seventy, yeah. So they had already been there for three years. Okay. So now you've had linguistics training. How many languages do you speak fluently? Um, English. Got that one. <laughs> <laughs> and more or less, I wouldn't say fluently would be the Manhui, uh, but enough to be able to tra- be a translator. I, I probably up to the one of the higher levels. And Spanish. It's, and it's it's we had to reach a higher level of the Manhui in order to be able to translate. But we also speak Spanish too. You speak Spanish fluently. Well, Spanish is the trade language around. Spanish is the trade language, and we have lost probably more than we've learned in Spanish because we don't use it as much. 
How close is Monhui to Spanish? Oh, it's a completely, absolutely different language. There's Did the Monhui no, know the Spanish? They know. They when we first got there, they knew a few words. Just are they? Just are they? Were words. they able to just trade in that language? I mean, no. to make contact well, with people outside the tribe. They didn't have any contact hardly with the outside world at all. They, they were, were pretty what we isolated. Call them monolingual. Very isolated. Okay. There would be a, a trapper that would come through maybe twice a year, and they would trap using sign language and. Well, there was a couple guys that knew some Spanish a little yeah, bit, and they would, much. but that was about it. Enough to dicker for some furs or whatever. For, for, between furs and and whatever else that they wanted from him, yeah. So three languages. Yeah, Manhui. You do a little bit of work in Greek and Hebrew. Actually, I depend more on on commentaries, what's already been done. Yeah. Rather than myself, because I did not study Greek or Hebrew, which is to my detriment. But it, we, we still get by. Yeah, you're still able to translate scripture. Right, we can get the sense of God's word yeah. into the language of the Manhui people. Right. It's more based on different all the different English versions. And I do look at the Greek once in a while and, and study the, the, the depths of it because it's but it's usually from just commentaries. Right. So you're not you're studying in in those exegetical commentaries exactly. for the purpose of knowing and understanding the meaning of the text. The meaning of the text. And yeah. once you get that you can translate that into their language. Right. So it's not that you're going straight from Greek No. The Texas Receptus no. into the no. Monhui. That's pretty difficult to do that. That would be pretty difficult. So, in fact, most of our translators don't ever go there. Most of the New Tribes common uh, yeah. translators. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So, give me uh, so that we can hear a little bit of what Monhui sounds like. Can you recite John three sixteen in Monhui? Well, I could tell you more or less in Monhui. Uh, it would be something like because uh, I, I didn't bring my Monhui Bible with me. But John 3.16 would be something like, uh, Memorized, or are you translating? No, I actually translated from English into Manhui in my brain just then. <laughs> so whether or not that would match identically what you I published in John. I probably know. doesn't, but it's close. <laughs> <laughs> I would say probably I know Manhui uh, to what we would call a fourth level of high, which is like our mission requires a certain level to reach before you can teach and another level before you can uh, translate. And then there's, of course, at the lower levels that, like, you could only work in literacy. But I have reached the, the top level that's required. But there are levels above that. Uh, like, if my kids probably were, they were born down there, and they speak a higher level than I do because they grew up speaking the language as, as kids. Wow. Like and they the learned, kids are a little freer with they, them than they are they with, with us. They were with us, yeah. I didn't learn a lot of the, 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 the phrases that the kids would be speaking among each other. I stuck with phrases that were mostly what I acquired from them, the way I learned the language. So I know I know the grammar better than any of my kids do, but they speak the language better than I do. They might not speak it correctly all the time, whereas I would speak it Neither correctly. The but the, the Manhui aren't all consistent either. So, but I know the language. I know the grammar. So what uh, linguistically, sound wise, and and uh, uh, word word wise, what is Manhui close to? It's not close to Spanish. It's entirely different. No. Is it close to Portuguese or no? No other Latin American uh, national language. Uh, it's it it's be, it'd be like if you ask what's Cherokee close to English. It's not. No. It'd be like that. 
about that far. It's so away. radically isolated yes. that it is unlike anything any else. other any other trade language that you would find anywhere. Now, I'm, I don't even know if you'd be able to answer this, this question, or if you would know the answer to this question. Does that? How far back does that language go? They don't have written records because they, they didn't have a written language when you showed up. Right, but there are there are there are some books that were where these uh, anthropologists were studying languages back in the early uh, 1900s and even back even back in the, the late 1800s, where they have recorded some of the words uh, in Argentina where there was a related a very close similar tribe, and they published those those word lists and they're very close to Manhui. So they probably were their their ancestors back in the 1800s. It would be like what 15 generations ago, maybe 20 generations back. And, and language has changed. And it's changed some, but they still had the. You could tell it was the basically the same language. Okay. So that's eight late 1800, uh, and there was a mission even established in 1904 with a people group that are probably the the closest people group. To the Manhui in on the the border of Argentina and Paraguay, and that was back in uh, then. It was the Anglican Church actually, but it was it was not it was not very evangelical. I'm pretty sure because all all they learned was how to sing well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they sing very well. We visited there, and there are some Manhui living in there in the same group, and uh, that's all they know how to do is sing. So just a timeline overview now. You arrived at the Mission Field 1976, July. How long until you picked up pen and paper and started translating something into Manhui language? 76, 86, 85, 86. Was so it took you 10 years to learn the language. Yeah. yeah. First, though, the first year and a half was in Spanish only, still in the capital city. It, yeah, from the time we got there to... To the time we actually were able to start translating, start translating ten years. Yeah, and then where where do you begin? You got sixty six books to choose from, we, plus the apocrypha and the Book of Mormon. We began so in yeah, we began in the Book of Genesis, and that was our first book we translated. The whole book. The whole book, but we we didn't get the but half of it done in the first so many years, and then we left at twenty at chapter twenty five of Genesis, and we jumped into Matthew. Uh, excuse me, into Mark, and we translated the Book of Mark after that. And you translated the whole book of Mark. Yeah, and then and then when and we did actually we had we had half of Genesis, parts of Exodus, uh, just some uh, just a few chapters of Exodus done, and then we jumped into Mark and did the book of Mark, and from Mark James. did James, then Acts. Acts, and then and let's see then we did a couple other books I think too. Mm-hmm. Now back up just a second. You started in Genesis. Yeah. I know there's a theological reason for this. Why? Because uh, we believe that when you begin teaching the Bible to an indigenous group of people, you need to start at the beginning. You can't just dive into Jesus came. No. They would never. They would never. There's too many things that they'd never grasp. They needed to understand what uh, what sacrifices were. They need to understand who God is. Who God is. They need to understand. Where the world came from. Yeah, they need all the creation. They need to understand where sin came from. Otherwise, they would never understand why Jesus had to come. So you have to back up all the way back to the beginning. And what we what we found is that if you chronologically give them the background, give them a foundation for the gospel, then they'll understand the gospel. And so that's why Genesis. You can't just dive into the gospel. No. Absolutely no. not. 
it's uh, you know I've heard it compared to like Peter in in Acts chapter two begins with with the Jews who understand all of that. Right. He begins with this Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up and appointed him as yeah. as both Lord and Christ. And they had all the cultural background already. Yeah, they had all of that, so he could start there. Yeah. Paul in Acts seventeen goes to a group of people that didn't have that background. Right. And he starts with their gods. Out yeah. There. yeah, and then then let me introduce you to this God, yeah. who is the unsustained sustainer, and he right. goes back to the nature and character of God before he gets to the gospel. Yeah, and they had and and see with the Monhui people, they didn't even have a word for a for a good God. All they had was evil spirits, and they had they had evil spirits and they had helper spirits, the ones that they would call and and acquire their power in order to heal somebody. And uh, so we begin to talk about a spirit. I started looking for a word that was one of those spirits. Is one of those spirits. Is he good, completely good where he can help you? So I was, I was looking for a name for God. Can we use the spirit of the, for instance, uh, can we use the Hosa, which was a bird that, that was also a spirit. And he, he, they always called on the Hosa to come and help them and empower them. I said, well, can I call? And I started telling him, I says, what, give me some of the characteristics of the Hosa. Is he immoral? Oh yeah. He can be very immoral. This was a good spirit. That was their good spirit. It the best immoral. spirit they had was immoral. So I couldn't use that for the, for the name for God. I had to find a spirit that wasn't immoral, a spirit that would but be the closest to that one, but but uh, still good in all aspects. There was none. And so then I said, well, we, we want to talk about this other spirit that you guys don't even know about. This is the one I'm writing and want to write about. And who's, who We have his words already written down. I want to tell you about that spirit. What can we call him? They said, well, we heard we kind of heard about something from over on the river. And they call him Los. Los. They can't say Los. What is Los? And so the more I asked them, using their own language by this time, they begin. I begin to realize that was Dios, the Spanish word for God. So we we decided to go with that. But the more I started talking about him, I said, well, he he created everything. And they said, well, why not call him Shina? I said, what does Shina mean? That's our Father, the one who gives us everything. In our means in, in our me Father. And so that was the word that we began to use, but they obviously needed to know what that, we had to build meaning into it. So we be, instead of using los, which was their misunderstanding of the, the God in Spanish, we chose Shinat, which was our Father. So was Shinat a good? That was good. That actually had zero meaning, except meaning our Father. And we could teach. So Nobody no, ever no, used that. They didn't right. use that word. There's, cool there was no moral. There, there was, was nothing. No, there was no moral qualities or, attached or to immoral. It. No, because right. there was it nothing. means our father and yeah. what Manhui or even us. We, we don't. don't talk, we don't talk about our father. We don't father. talk to him about our father. Except brother. Brother would father. talk. Brother to brother would talk about that. But it, it became the best word using all the other ideas. That was the best word that that. Uh, and I let them choose, and uh, so Shinat became the name our father. Even though they weren't believers yet, and he wasn't really their father yet, it still seemed to serve the purpose. Then you had to build meaning into that. We built meaning into it. And yeah. and, and you use that as the foundation as you're teaching through Genesis. Right. It's Shinat that has Shinat done that. was the creator, yeah. But and now as believers, when they talk to God, they say, my father. Yeah, they don't say our father, they say my father. See, like, oh. like they have a word for my father, they call him Papa, just like. Everybody else. I mean, I don't know how because it doesn't go along with the 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 word because Inet is really my father. That's when you. But they the never really use that word. Mm. They always use Papa, and I don't yeah. know if they got it from Spanish because. Yeah, they did. I believe. Yeah, because. 
mother is my man. And it's it starts within them, but what's what's our mother? Annette. Our mother. I don't know. <laughs> I never, remember. Yeah. There, yeah. They, but languages, and Flat. you can't have a language without the culture. And the more we understood their culture, too, the more we began to realize that that their understanding of God, beings it was zero, the, the more we could add into that, the more we built into it, as we taught through Genesis and through the, chronologically, should not fit the bill much better than, than Dios did. We could have used Dios. That would have been a problem probably, too. So then in, in Exodus, I'm assuming that you're translating stuff that has to do with the sacrifices. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The reason for those sacrifices, right? And we and that became the foundation for understanding all you know, all the other rest of the gospels later on. And it took us as we were writing lessons like mad, as we started teaching and teaching and the translation began at the same time. Like we, we I began in Genesis. I also started teaching them at this time I was doing translation. Then our coworkers started picking up the teaching, so I could go on in the translation. So I was doing Genesis while he was while he was teaching them those first lessons about who God was, and he was using the written material that I had, and he could read them and then he could teach from it at the same time. So then, after Genesis, parts of Exodus, did you mostly focus on the New Testament? Yeah, by, yeah, by the time we were uh, almost to the end of the of the, the the original stories and the stories of Noah and the flood and. Um, Joseph, by that time, when he was done teaching that, I was already starting to work in, in, the, in the Gospel of Mark. So I'd be ready for him when he moved into the, the New Testament. So we had some of the stories. We were actually doing some provisional translation. He was doing some. I was doing some so that we would get the, the, the story of, of the, the whole life of Christ even before we had the whole book of Mark done. So after Mark, more Gospels? No, actually, we jumped into the book of James then. Because no. it was an easy book. Basically. Why Mark? It, Mark, because it, it gave the, the the whole gospel story. A big, brief overview. An overview, yeah. It wasn't an easy book to translate, though. I probably should have done Luke. So I look back on it. when you start teaching them about the nature of this God, they today have the book of John in their own language. Yeah. Do they understand that Shanat became flesh and dwelt among us? They do. Yeah. They get but that. But see, that was yeah. no problem because his name was Jesus. Yeah. So they understand that Jesus is Shannat as in the flesh. In the flesh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They understand it very well. But I always thought it was really interesting because of the name, because they have, what do you call them, like conjugations. Of, you've got Papa, then you've got Anat, and Hinat. That, that's what they would use. They never really use Shinat or Inet. Not in their language yet. In their language. Yes. And so Inet fit and she not fit perfect for our father or my father because if I'm talking to my dad, I call him Papa. And if, if I'm I, talking about him, I call him my father. Yeah. Papa. Papa. It's still going to come out. It's, it's still, still the oh, same word. It's my father. Okay. It's just my father. And then, The only so, time you'd ever use she not that wasn't referring to God would be two brothers or two sisters talking about their father. And they very seldom ever do it. They but just talk about They still say Papa. Yeah, the they, they won't. So the word so, so it, the word Shinat really was an unused word that really they, it had had its already meaning built in, but it was an unused word. And their term of address when they're talking in prayer to God, when they talk to their own Papa, they say, Papa, would you go do this for me? But when they talk to God, they say, Inet, would you go do this for me? Hmm. So they actually... They actually used old words that hadn't been used probably for years and years 
to even talk to God. And we don't even know. It's like it's like mimet. You go mimet, and then it's at and yeah. let or his All his would be let. That's yeah. that's how the conjugation goes on their nouns. Right. And so that you know you wonder where what happened to mom in there. But basically, we also found that one thing or quite a few things about typical languages. Your your mother and father, my mom and dad, or my usually are going to come up with m's and p's at the beginning. Hmm. Yeah. Not always. Yeah. But a lot of times, it's just like your word for nose is usually going to have some kind of um, nasal sound. Yep. <laughs> now the the uh, so your first gospel was Mark, and then James, Acts, some of the epistles. Right. Then we moved into Timothy, uh, Titus. And the whole time you're teaching them through each book as you translate it. You teach them through these books. Well, not the not the not not the the epistles, uh, because we actually went through the book of Acts, the early church, and we taught them what a. Uh, by the time we reached the book of Acts, we had some believers, and so then we started to teach those believers what the church looked like. Looked like, and that's why we went into the book of Acts again chronologically, and then uh, we needed some something about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit works in your life. So from Acts, then we went to the epistles. What what a believers the life of a believer is to look like Timothy first and second Thessalonians so all the time we're teaching uh, they they somewhat tie to those books but we we fell behind in the in the actual translation as far as what we needed for the church at the very beginning but then we had a long period of time when some of us were on furlough teaching got left behind and so uh, the church kept kept growing and kept going. And we were we were beginning. To, then we started the book of Romans, and then we moved into that. And then Romans, because Romans we should have had before some of the the um, other epistles. Romans gives the, the the basis for for a believer and the life of a believer. And and we kind of they needed that long before we actually got to it. And I think that's why some of the believers got into the idea of works rather than grace because they had, didn't have the book of Romans when they should have. They're so not understanding we, we, justification. They didn't understand putrid righteousness exactly. these concepts. And so uh, by the time we, we actually did translate Romans, we had some believers that were thinking that it was all about performance, all about doing. Now we come full circle. Yeah, we did a full circle. Exactly. Yeah. So then when we start teaching the book of Romans, we saw a change in their lives. It was almost almost miraculous, almost drastic. Yeah, drastic change. So how long after you started translating scripture until you would have what was the first believer? I think about five years, four years maybe, because I think it was 87. Let's see, we started, when did we, no, no, 87, 88, 89, about 89 I think is when we had a first believer. So it was about four years after we started teaching. It took about and, four years. And did it seem most natural when you get to Mark after going through Genesis, you get to Mark, you teach them about Jesus, which is Shanat in the flesh, for them to repent, they understand what repentance is? And Not, yeah, it was, it was pretty much about the time that we presented the fact that why Jesus came at the very end of when Jesus was crucified, it actually disappointed them because they already were looking for the fact they thought that Jesus should be the Messiah because we taught that they that the Messiah was promised and when we brought him up through the life of Christ then he was killed. That was pretty disappointing to them too. They were they were actually living the story by the time we got to that point. Huh. And uh, then we said that we would present what happened after that. And we said, remember Jesus said that in three days something great would happen. I right, come back tomorrow and we'll tell the rest of the story. And so then we've told them 
that Jesus was resurrected from the dead and he, he fulfilled everything that God required in the law and he actually came back to life. It was incredible what they thought. They thought so they understood then the idea of sacrifice. They, yeah. they, they by then thought they did. that this is the sacrifice. This is the sacrifice. They were looking for the sacrifice. And then we were able to, to bring him back and say, look, he was the sacrifice. He gave his life, but he not only he not only died for their sins, he actually proved the fact that he could forgive their sins by raising to life again. And uh, that's when we that then we had three guys that stepped forward and says, I believe that. And those were the first three. And where uh, where are they today? <laughs> Still in the tribe? Two of them. One of them is a pastor of the actual pastor now. He's been an ordained, ordained, ordained pastor at the Monhui Church there. In the Monhui Church. The other one is is a, what we would call a deacon. He was a very angry man. He was a witch doctor. He's an older guy my age, and uh, he was also one of the first three. One of those first three, and he is now a deacon. He takes care of the church building, and uh, watch out watches out for people and helps where he can. He's turned from all of his witch oh, doctor yeah. stuff. Oh my goodness, yeah, yeah, incredible change in that man's life. The third man recently passed away, and uh, he never really did anything really to help. But uh, he was actually a self-appointed chief of the tribe, but fell away from the Lord for a number of years and finally came back on his deathbed. And he just he just died about what about four months ago. Mm-hmm. And today, how many how many believers there in that tribe? Well, first of all, how big is the tribe? Well, the tribe is is about seven hundred altogether, and it's split up into a lot of different areas. But I'd say to, totally is about 700. And out of the 700, I would say probably about 500 have heard the gospel story and have heard the teaching. Probably about 200 of those are saved, I would say. Maybe between 150, 200 maybe. But if you ask probably Jeff, is. you'd probably have different. You, it, it's hard. To how do you tell, how, you know, there are there yeah. are what we call fringe people. They're just out like there. America. Just like, mm-hmm. just like us here. There's those that are walking with God. There's those that just understand. And a lot of them believe, but probably have never grown. So it's hard to say how many. We The, the actual meeting that meets in the church building in in our area, plus three or four other areas where they meet together, I would probably say a total of about 40, 50 people that really are walking with God. But the rest of them, there's, it's hard to know how many are really saved. Yeah. You know, it could be a. Oh we we've actually baptized probably about ninety people. We haven't all together. The Monhui as well as us have baptized about ninety. So I'd say ninety to a hundred are probably Christians to some degree. Yeah, the only one saved. Yeah, maybe a few more than that. There may be about one hundred and fifty that are baptized. I don't even. We don't count them, so I don't know. And we don't know how. You know what they're. You know whether or not they really are. Yeah. Well, until there's growth. Until there's growth. In their lives. Yeah, we don't. But you know, there we, are. And we're not counting them anyway. Really, that's up to God. So now today, fast forward 27 years. Today, how much of the of, of the Bible do you have translated? We have got all of the New Testament except for the Book of Hebrews and Revelations finished. Revelation is finished. Re- no, except for those two. Except for Revelation. Revelation the only and two Hebrews. Books we have left to do. Are are still left to go, and I'm actually working in Hebrews now. And Revelation's next. And Revelation's is next. Yeah. And Old Testament. We've got uh, the book of Genesis. Oh, I I forgot to mention uh, when Jamie uh, got up to his language in Manhui a number of years ago. Then he he also became on the translation team, and he finished the book of Genesis. I had only done half of it. He came back and finished it. 
And then he also did all the, I had rough stuff in Exodus. He did up to 20, chapter 25 in Exodus as well. So we have all of Genesis done now, half of Exodus done. And then from there on, we have actually the book of Jonah's done. And from there on, there's, there's just portions of Old Testament, all the old, all the Old Testament prophecies and a lot of books that. Like Isaiah 53, for instance. Yeah, all of Isaiah 53 is done. There's portions that are needed. Portions in the Psalms as well, not the whole book. The, just pieces that we needed to to show, uh, to, tied to the New Testament, yeah. and give some of the, the gospel story. So now you're going through the book of Hebrews, but the book of Hebrews is tied, I oh, mean, it, it just goes sure. all the way back to the Pentateuch. It's right. Genesis to Deuteronomy fleshed out. Yeah, and I'm finding there's verses that are that we could have translated still, even in the Old Testament, that tied it to Hebrews. So I'm gonna I'm going back and working through some of those as well. So when you get done with Hebrews, are the, are the people gonna feel uh, it, it? It will be a self-contained unit enough that they're not gonna feel like they don't know the backstory. Probably they, they will so. be able to get it, but they're gonna obviously their understanding would be fuller if they had Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Yeah, possibly so. I think, but we're gonna depend on more on the younger generation coming up learning Spanish and probably using some more Spanish by the time they actually really understand that well. So do you think that the Manhui language will is a long-term language? Is it going to oh, be yeah. in that tribe that's not going to go away? It's not going to go away. You're it's not like, going to find Spanish come in and take over it and all of your I don't basically think so. become obsolete. I don't think so. It'll, it'll, it's, they call it a live language. It's, it's one of the few that's maintained better than, all, than the others in even in South America. And it's not a big language, but it's maintained. There are some of the languages in Paraguay uh, that are tied to the Guarani language, which is the second language of Paraguay. Those lang- a lot of those speak are, are switching more into Guarani rather than keeping their old language, but not with the Manhui people. Hmm. I, it's, it all has to do with, with who they come in contact with, really, I think. So, and the Manhui are still fairly isolated. Even after all these years, yeah. Mm-hmm. So that now they, uh, we'll get into this, I guess, another time. When they, when you arrived, they didn't have a written language. No, they didn't have any writings in their language. Nothing. They didn't write anything. Down. They didn't have an alphabet. No. They couldn't read. They couldn't read. They didn't even. They didn't even hardly draw pictures on the ground. So you had to teach them to read. Yeah. Their own language. You actually had to create their languages, at least phonetically, and with with alphabet. That's right. With characters, then teach them to read that language. That's right. So that now today they can read the language that you've translated the Word of God into. Yeah, and not only can they read it, but their their own teachers are teaching them how to read it. We we set up the program to teach literacy. Now they're teaching it. We're not even a part of it. We don't even anymore. teach reading anymore. Don't we don't touch it anymore. So what when years ago they were looking at you through the windows of the hut as you taught your t- children how to read. That's right. Thinking that that was weird. Now and they're now doing, the, they're same doing the same thing. Yeah, they have school almost every day and we got two good teachers that are that were trained actually more by Jamie than myself. That was one of Jamie's Besides doing translation, he was also teaching literacy. Is there more exposure now to the outside world than there was when you showed up? Yeah, and the reason for that is is the roads have gotten a little bit better, but the Manhui themselves have, have uh, been able to save enough money working from ranchers. They've bought some motorcycles. There's about, I'd say, about 15 motorcycles now in the village owned by different different men, and they go in and drive into the one of the nearer towns, which is about 100 miles away, Buy supplies and then come back. Hmm. And uh, they're very, they're becoming very uh, mobile now. 
and and plus there's ranchers that have moved in all around them and ranchers hire these guys to work for them and they're getting some exposure to Spanish as well or Guarani the other language a lot of the ranchers the ranchers don't don't really see the Manhui people as educated or uh high status so instead of speaking Spanish to them they speak Guarani to them so the Manhui are learning Guarani as well so they're they're learning two other languages basically so 37 years you've Created a written language, yeah. translated most of the New Testament, almost all the New Testament, mm-hmm. taught them to read, turned over the teaching to them. Yeah. You have an indigenous church started, which is led by their own people. Yeah. And now your job is to finish up the New Testament. Where do you go from here? What's next? We will actually, in if possibly in two and a half years, we will be done with the New Testament. We'll have published it. Maybe three years we'll have published it. We'll have given them also some, uh, well, all the commentary that is now Bible lessons will become their, will be their commentary as well. And we'll also have a concordance finished and a dictionary. And yeah, uh, they'll have Bible study tools in their hands. They will have all the tools that, that we, we will be able to give them. Yeah. And they'll be able to, to actually, some of them are now even writing their own commentary. Really? Yeah. We've got one guy who's on the computer writing his own commentary. Right now. On books of the Bible. Jeff's helping him. Our son Jeff is helping him, but he's doing it himself. Yeah. Like I'm on Huey John MacArthur. Yeah, he's, he was working in Ephesians here when we left. I, I was impressed. I thought that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> they and, don't they don't need us hardly at all. And and now they're are they interested in sending out missionaries themselves? They have already sent one guy to work uh in their own language. There's a there's a group of people that, that were re, that were already uh churchized. Manhui people mixed with another group. So the, the Manhui Church sent this family to work for them and to teach them through the chronological lessons uh, a couple of years ago. Now he's wanting to go back and finish that teaching. He didn't finish. And then there are also there's people uh, on the river, the Paraguayan border between uh, the river that borders Paraguay and Argentina. There's another group of Manhui. They want to send somebody down there as well to teach those people. So they're they're already sending. And they're looking, they're planning to send somebody in these two places. Apparently something uh, God did right there, huh? Yeah. (laughs) By his sovereign grace. Yeah. That's that's the way we see it. So what's next for you guys? You must be pushing 40 years old. We're we're getting up there and we're looking at possible retirement here in about three or four years. And you're expecting to be done with the New Testament and a lot of the lessons and commentary? We will not, we will not retire until we've, we've gotten all that done. I just mentioned, yeah. The, The books, the book published. I'll actually, it's not really retirement because I'll probably end up uh, working some more on uh, the dictionary, uh, possibly even do some commentary myself for them. Is that stuff you can do from here? We'll do that from the States. Yeah, we'll be back. We'll come back to the States and do some of that. Finalize the the dictionary, maybe even do some finalization of the linguistic write-ups that I never really published before then. I don't know. And now you got to, you want to... Do a little bit of revision in the New Testament as well. And there's some revision needed to be done, yeah. As you've learned the language more. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and terminology has changed over the years. See, it's been it's been like 15 years. And when we first started in the book of Acts, we were using words like, uh, it kind of meant the right thing, but, but we've learned, it, and we published the book. But now we've got a better terminology for sacrifice. We've got a better terminology for, for even grace now that we had published back in the book of Acts. So we can, we need, those books need to come up to the same terminology. So you're using different words We're for grace in Acts than you used That's for right. grace in 
Ephesians or Romans. That's right. So those books have to be redesigned and, and brought up, but it won't take a whole lot. Just be, you just have to run them, run them through one helper, one language helper and bring it up to the, and they'll, they'll correct it as we so go. So what are you going to do about the, uh, the Monhui only crowd that just wants the original 1611 or it would be a 1986 version of the They're the ones Monhui that are telling ones. us to revise it. They're the ones that ask it. Oh, for you don't have a Monhui only segment no. down there that. No. In fact, no. if the king didn't translate it, it's not good enough. I'll tell you something very interesting. Okay. I was working with one guy and we had, we had developed the term for profit. The word for profit in, in, uh, there was no, it was hard to get a word for what a profit was. And so. Profit, P-H-E-T. Yeah. The, the, the word that the guy that was in the Old Testament telling these stories. And so we just decided, well, we'll just get along with, with the Spanish word. We'll just drop a Spanish word in there and teach what it meant. So we used the word profeta for the word prophet. And, uh, it went along for two or three books. And all of a sudden my language helper said, you know what? All the people are, when they get to that word, they just kind of stop and they laugh. They don't know what it means. He says, can we just, can we just say this word? And he gave me a beautiful Manhui phrase. That fit perfectly. Well, why didn't they give that to me years ago? Because <laughs> so, they didn't know. Because they didn't know. They didn't understand what this guy's job was. Yeah. So now, in the newer books, I'm using the word, uh, he who tells God's word. It, I, it kind of means that. But it was a very, very... Is it like a fourth teller? Kind of, yeah. Somebody who proclaims. Right. And uh, so now we've got that in the newer books, but see, it's not in the older books. And there's a lot of words like that. I I couldn't come up with a good term, so I would drop a Spanish... Uh, idea. So that older version has more Spanish in it than the newer version does. The newer version is more pure Manhui, actually. And, wow. uh, and it speaks better. So two questions that I always ask everybody. Actually, three. Uh, number one, what makes you guys so special to be on the mission field? How are you uniquely gifted? What makes you different than the average Joe sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning that you're able to do this? That's a You're shaking question. your head. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so that you can translate that to tape. Yeah. Okay. Shaking my head, I have no, not a clue anyway. <laughs> what makes us so special that we can? You're, su- you're super saints, aren't you? Missionaries, you're super saints. You have I more faith than this. everybody else, more obedience, more. I don't think so. Spirit, you struggle with sin less than other people. Not, you're, you're, that you're, I know is definitely not true. <laughs> your, your kids are less sinful. Absolutely not. The demands of your life are different, right? No. You live on a different plane. I tell you what, I think I think you guys living in the states have a lot harder time than we would. It's a lot of things. There's more. I think there's more temptations here. There's more struggles here than some of the things we would struggle with. I mean, people say, "Oh, but you live with snakes and you live with spiders and you live in the dirt and you live in all the." And it's harder. Give you don't me hills any day instead of the traffic. Believe me, <laughs> it's a whole lot more tranquil, a whole lot more uh, uh, easy for us than I think it is for you guys. As a pastor, you went to the mission fields to escape the rigors of American Christianity. Absolutely, <laughs> you're, no. you're weak. That's what it is. You're weak. Yeah. So, no, I can, there are many times I come away yeah. now going out. We went out to visit them, and that was when we were younger, by the way. Get so hot, I look at Gordy and say, "I'm not very good missionary material." Yeah. We we see our kids now so living the way hot. we lived uh, 20 years ago, and I don't know. We couldn't do it to this day. There's no way. We just, it's, it's, it's too hard. <laughs> yeah. Too tough. <laughs> too tough. How many but, people? But back when we were in it, 
It was, I was, that was preferred life. You, you just know? dealt with it. It was, yeah. that was the way life was. And, and not only that, but it was an easy life. It was not easy because it took a lot of time to live. You, yeah. know, you had to go out and start the generator every day. You had to haul your own water. You had to get your firewood. You basically, we lived pretty primitive and it took a lot of time just to live. Whereas today, the younger missionaries, you know, they don't, they, they have uh, a whole lot less of those things that they have to do. And besides that, Indians and everybody have cell phones. And they all have cell phones. It's just life has gotten a little easier for, for them. But I couldn't I, I couldn't go back and live the way we did then now. It, it was too hard. And we're older. You know, it's just. Yeah. And it's hotter. <laughs> and you don't live on the mission. You don't live with the Monhood no, right now, right? No, we've, we've we moved, clarify that, too. Yeah, we moved out of the Indian village uh, about eight years ago. And the reason we moved out was because I'm a fix-it man, okay? And the Indians had a lot of things that they needed repairing. Once they started uh, getting bicycles and watches and radios, uh, they they didn't have a clue how to fix them. And so I was called on to fix them. They also had uh, – they needed uh, help with, with the houses that they were building. And so I began to, to find that I was use, being uh, called on so much I needed to get away from from that and work in a, in a place apart from the Indian tribe. Not only that, there's two two things. Another thing is the older generation of the first generation of Christians looked to me kind of like Papa, kind of like the father. Yeah. But the younger the younger generation wasn't coming up. They were kind of being held back because we were there and uh, kind of in control still. Well, I step in the leadership of somebody else's. Exactly. Doing it. And so when we pulled away and moved away, then all of a sudden the younger generation came up and became the leaders, the Christian leaders the, the of the tribe. And that's what was needed. And God saw that. And, and you have more time to devote to doing to, what you want to do. And I could spend task. I could spend 10 hours a day working in translation. And that's why we moved away from the tribe. And that's basically it's been the best thing we did. So how far away now do you live? We live about 120 miles away. It's a long ways to drive, but we go back every about every three weeks. I go back in and, and take material, translated material, to check with. They spend about a week out there and check the materials with them, and uh, then we're in an environment back in that environment. But uh, they see that that's why I've come, and so they leave me alone pretty much to okay. do that with a, with a couple of helpers. And how can people pray for you? What are some of the pressing prayer concerns at this time? 2012. Well, I would say probably that that uh, when we go back, that we can take what we've done in the book of Hebrews and really that it's understandable to them as we work through the through the uh, the checking of it, and that it, it becomes a good book for them to use, and that also the church that the church should continue to maintain and teach themselves, and that the leaders would stay uh, in their positions and teach well, and stay pure as well. It's, it's a rough life down there for them. Hmm. What would you say? What else would they good to pray for these guys? Also, pray for us as we travel. we got a lot of miles to cover in our, on our own furlough this year. And then you're heading back in a couple of months. We're going back to Delaware, but we won't be going back to Paraguay until November. So we've got about five, what is it, six more months from now? Something like yeah. that. And people can contact you through... Uh, Facebook, email, email. Cell, phone. yeah. cell phones. Excellent. Well, this is a fascinating time, and I'm very grateful you guys took the time. Thank you very much. Thank you.